Owe no one anything except to love one another, for he who loves another has fulfilled the law. For the commandments, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not murder, you shall not steal, you shall not bear false witness, you shall not covet. And if there is any other commandment, all are summed up in this, namely, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. Love does no harm to a neighbor, therefore, love is the fulfillment of the law. And do this knowing the time that now it is high time to awake out of sleep, for now our salvation is nearer than when we first believed. The night is far spent, the day is at hand, therefore let us cast off the works of darkness, let us put on the armor of light, let us walk properly as in the day and not in revelry and drunkenness, not in lewdness and lust, not in strife and envy, but put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh to fulfill its lust." Father, we just ask uh, as we gather here this evening uh, that you would just uh, be in our midst. Lord, just clear out the uh, clutter, the distractions of the day. Lord, we ask for your cleansing and forgiveness. Lord, even for things we may not be aware of. We know that we fall so short of your glory, but we thank you for your grace. We thank you for your mercy. Please purify us and sanctify us in your presence. Lord, as we will celebrate and uh, gather as families and individuals tomorrow for Thanksgiving. We thank you for this nation. We thank you for the freedoms we have. We thank you for uh, your love for us. We thank you for the cross and your resurrection, the work of your spirit, your word, all of these things, Lord. We have so much to be thankful for, and we do lift up and we remember those that don't have the freedoms, the opportunity, the food, and the things that we have, those around the world that are being persecuted for the name of Christ. We lift up Pastor Saeed and many others like him, Brother Gal, Brother Bay, many in uh, foreign lands, Lord, who are imprisoned, uh, being tortured or beaten. We pray that you would heal them, deliver them, set them free, comfort their families, Lord. Uh, this little boy, seven, that, that was killed just this week, Lord, comfort the family there in India. Uh, Lord, I also just pray that you would uh, just, Lord, use all of the ministries and the outreach of Samaritan's Purse, GFA, that are, that are feeding the hungry and uh, digging wells and providing for those that have nothing, but even more importantly, also bringing the food, uh, the bread of life, the gospel to them. Lord, we pray for these ministries and these men and women who are carrying the good news around the world. We ask, Lord, that you would bless this Bible study this evening, for we know, Lord, that uh, these are the things uh, that you would have us to know and to walk in in our life. In Jesus' name, amen. Uh, late one summer evening in Broken Bow, Nebraska, a weary truck driver had pulled his rig into an all-night truck stop, and the waitress had just started serving him when three tough-looking, leather-jacketed motorcyclists of the Hell's Angels type, decided to give him a hard time. And not only did they begin to verbally abuse him, but one grabbed the hamburger off his plate, another took a handful of his french fries, and the third picked up his coffee and began to drink it. Now, how would you respond? Well, this trucker did not respond as one might expect. Instead, he calmly arose, picked up, his check, walked to the front of the room, put the check and his money on the cash register and went to the door. The waitress followed him, put the money in the till and stood watching out the door as the big truck drove away into the night. When she returned, one of the bikers said to her, well, he's not much of a man, is he? She replied, I don't know about that, but he sure ain't much of a truck driver. He just ran over three motorcycles on his way out of the parking lot. We might not be like the abusive bikers, but most of us gravitate to that calm, very measured response of the trucker, don't we? Don't get mad, just get even. There's got to be a way. Try as we might, loving others, and more importantly, loving and living and responding in life like Christ just doesn't come natural, does it? Why? Well, as I often cite, and the scriptures are clear, it's not in our flesh, that is the natural man, uh, to do what is righteous, to do what is pure, uh, 
to be really responding in every situation the way Jesus would. We talked about it even this past Sunday, and when back we're in the seventh chapter of Romans. We know that Romans 17, it says, that in my flesh nothing good dwells. Nothing good. Uh, there are other ways that the trucker could have responded, but uh, again, there's worse ways the trucker could have responded. We recognize that. But there's also more Christ-like ways, too. And so uh, we certainly understand and you know, we, does, we do desire that justice be given, and a lot of times if we can deliver it, we want to. But as we uh, finished at the end of the 12th chapter, remember, vengeance is not ours, saith the Lord. God himself is the one uh, that will take care of all the little details. So as you're looking at this text tonight, I've titled it, What to Wear, What to Wear. In other words, what is it the Lord wants us to put on? What is it He wants us to reflect? And again, if you're taking notes, we'll just take a look at two points tonight. Uh, his love and His light, although we'll look at several subpoints underneath that. But His love and His light. Starting in verse 8 of His love here, 8 through 12, speaking of this kind of love that, that God has called us as believers, uh, as believers to have, the love that God wants us to walk in, on the one hand, it purifies us, but it also is a witness to other people. So it's bi-directional. Uh, it, it benefits us because we begin to be shaped and molded into the image of Christ, but it certainly benefits other people as well. Now, two areas I want to look at, and they're really, they're really just one. They're just two halves of the same, uh, or maybe just two variations of the same godly attribute. Two things I want to look at under his love. Uh, purpose to love and purpose to help. And as I said, I mean, they're really one because true love does help. God's helped us, hasn't he? A lot. Why? Because God is love, and so he has helped us uh, in any way possible. Certainly, he's helped us out of the pit of hell with salvation, but he's helped us far beyond that. Uh, he's helped you be here tonight. He's helped you raise children. He's helped you find employment. He's helped you have something to eat. He's helped your heart continue to beat today or your lungs to work or anything else. So we have a lot to be thankful for, but God also wants us to model that in the world too, to help others, to purpose to love and to purpose to help. Now, what do I mean by this purpose to love? Look at verse 8 again. Owe no one anything except to love one another. For he who loves another has fulfilled the law. This first verse clarifies without any ambiguity our responsibility to others all around us. And it says, owe no one. Is this for real? Really? No one, or in other words, everyone should get the same treatment from us? Even politicians? And, and attorneys? Right? And I'm kidding, if you're a politician or an attorney here, we love you too. But whatever the, whatever the title, the person that nobody gets along with, all of these, yes, owe no one anything, that person... Nothing but love. You know, I just, I met, um, we just got the new Calvary Chapel magazines. Um, and I hope you get one that's got the whole story of Chuck Smith's life and ministry in it. And when I was up at Calvary Fredericksburg, they were putting the magazine together. And I met uh, a young lady by the name of Deborah. Uh, she put me on her prayer list. Um, she was, she's been working at the magazine for a couple of years, but she's headed back, single lady, and she's headed back to Afghanistan because she has an incredible heart for the Muslim community. She does not look Middle Eastern at all. <laughs> she just has an incredible heart for the Muslim community. She's already been in Afghanistan. I can't remember how long she said she had been there before, but she's going back. And, and even when 9-11 took place, and all of us remember where we were at in 
Uh, I certainly do. Uh, she told me, she said, you know, when, when most people think of 9-11, I think of all the victims, she goes, but I thought of 19 additional. She actually had a, just a love and a compassion for the 19 men that drove the planes into the buildings and into the towers. Now, a lot of people have no love for those men. Now, obviously, it's too late to have any kind of tangible love for them, uh, but it's not too late to have love for men that are just like them all over the world. True? It's, the 19 men are dead, and so are all the people that, that died. Now, we have our heart might break about what took place, but the only thing you can do now is transpose that same feeling towards others. And, you know, I, I said, Deborah, that's just, that's awesome. I mean, you have that heart, uh, and it's good to run into people that have that Christ-likeness that rubs off on us, that reminds us that's it. Because Jesus loved the 19 terrorists also. He even loved Judas right up until the moment that Judas still put a knife in his back, put him on the cross. I mean, Judas just uh, um, totally betrayed and dishonored the Lord. But the Lord is clear here through the Apostle Paul, owe no one anything except to love, which is an incredibly high bar. Now, I want to say one thing about practically seeing this take place in our life, and I'm going to say this same word a lot tonight, pray. Pray and commit to love. You have to first just pray, Lord, I'm going to love, and I'm going to commit to love. But where do we start with this? Well, we must first purpose to obey the first and greatest commandment. We know that Jesus said all the law hangs on two commandments, right? Love the Lord thy God, heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love thy neighbor as yourself. And of course, that is also what Jesus said is also said in the ninth verse as well. All of it summed up, namely, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. Jesus taught this. Paul is simply reiterating the teaching of Jesus. We'll start Sunday in the book of Luke, where we'll get to see uh, for, well, a long time, we'll get to see a lot of the teaching of Jesus specifically. Paul's reiterating that. But first, you must love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. It has to start there. Our relationship with others has to start with our vertical relationship with God. When we love the Lord, it's going to then have an outflow towards others. So in our prayer life, we pray that we would, God, help me to love you more. Help me to adore you more. Help me to be fully committed to you, Father. I mean, it starts there. We must start there, obeying that first and greatest commandment. The rest will follow. The Lord, why do I say it will follow? Well, God is not going to fail us. He's not going to fail to transform us when we first love him. He's not going to fail to transform us when we first love him. And remember, we only love him because he first loved us. Even our love for him is just in response. We did not seek him. He sought us. He loved us first. We respond. We do respond. We continue to respond. We grow in that response. We grow in that love for the Lord. It will transform us, and the Lord will help us to then love others the way we're supposed to. 1 John 5, 3 says, For this is the love of God, that we keep His commandments, and His commandments are not burdensome. For a lot of people, they are burdensome, but they're burdensome because they don't love God. When you love God, His commandments are not burdensome. Now, I didn't say that they're easy. Um, There's a lot of things that I do uh, that are not easy, but they're not burdensome to me. And there is a distinction. Um, you know, you might you might do a workout. It might not be easy, but you still don't find some. You still like it, right? Not that it's easy. You might like to do a ten mile run. It's not easy, but you still enjoy doing it. It's not burdensome to you, even though it's not easy. The same thing with loving the Lord. It's not burdensome. He gives us a heart for it, a desire for it. And he therefore 
our love for him changes the way we look at the commandments. If we will purpose to love and appreciate the Lord Jesus, he will give us a love for his commandments. He'll give you a love for his commandments, which are actually not just his commandments, they're actually him. He is, remember we talked about, we're in the book of Exodus, the Ten Commandments are put in the ark and they are called the testimony, which is Jesus, the testimony of Jesus Christ. We know that his commandments are in fact him. In the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God. He is the Word, he is the law, he is the commandment, he is the testimony. When we love him first, we'll love his commandments, and when we love his commandments, we're really just loving him anyway. Now, he gives us some very straightforward, unflinching commandments as it relates to love. In Luke 6.35, he says, But love your enemies, do good, and lend. I love this next part. I, I, I had forgotten that he says it this way. In my mind, it was, and lend, even if you get nothing, even if you get nothing in return, but that's not what he says. He says, and lend, hoping for nothing in return. Wow, that's a, that's a mind shift. How many of you have loaned something hoping to never get it back? <laughs> I don't. If you give me something, you probably never will get it back. But anyway, I'm kidding. Well, maybe not. Depends on what it is. And your reward will be great, and you will be sons of the Most High, for He is, for he is kind to the unthankful and evil. I didn't get a thank you note from them. I gave them a really nice gift. I didn't even get a thank you note. I can't believe it. They didn't even text me a thank you note. Much less email it or write it. Not getting, not getting anything, but not just flat out hoping for nothing in return. He is kind to the unthankful and evil. Now, when God says evil, I love, early on in salvation, I remember hearing a pastor say, whenever God says something, he doesn't exaggerate. God never exaggerates. We exaggerate. Oh, I waited in line for a million hours. How long was it really? Well, it was 10 minutes. That's fairly close. But God doesn't exaggerate. So when he says evil, he actually means evil. Even evil. I was look. I showed my wife a picture of a, a guy who had just been uh, arrested. I guess in the last few days for murder, and he had uh, he had a tattoo of Satan on his forehead, fear on his eyelid, area code on his neck, uh, upside down cross with like blood tears coming out of all this stuff. And I looked at the and a picture, and uh, but immediately, um, you know, you look. I, I was in the middle of this study, so my, my heart was well watered, but I immediately had compassion and said, Jesus loves that individual who surgically had his tongue forked and then murdered somebody recently. And, you know, our nation is full of people that uh, are completely evil. Some, certainly probably this gentleman, uh, demonically possessed and yet Jesus, when he ran into the man of Gadara, who had a thousand demons in him, was slashing himself, was fully demonic, was violent, the whole area was afraid of him, Jesus not only had compassion on him, but ended up saving him radically, clothed in his right mind, and made him the first evangelist to Decapolis. By the way, that guy, if he did get saved, would be quite a story, wouldn't he? No one is outside of God's candidacy for us to be gracious and kind, not expecting, not even hoping for anything in return. Again, I mentioned I'd say this a lot. Well, how, do we, how do we grow in this? Pray, pray, and pray some more. Pray for enemies of the gospel. If you don't have any personal enemies, praise the Lord. I can't think of any personal enemies to me right now. I mean, I know people that, you know, think I'm a wacko Christian, or they're not really into hanging out with me, or, you know, all that stuff, or uh, maybe they have some other, uh, you know, issue, but it's not, I wouldn't 
enemy would be too strong of a word. And for probably most of you, maybe, maybe you have some. But we do know of enemies of the gospel all over the world. Right? The guy that rules North Korea, enemy of the gospel. Right? Rouhani in Iran, enemy of the gospel. Right? Al-Qaeda, enemy of the gospel. Radical Hindus, enemies of the gospel. Communist China, enemies of the gospel. So we can pray for our enemies and pray that the Lord would teach us to love. And boy, when you can learn it in prayer, you can learn it in practice. Amen? That's, that's where we go to learn. Let's look at the next purpose. That's purpose to love. Purpose to help. At the end of verse 10, it says, Love does no harm to a neighbor, therefore love is the fulfillment of the law. And then, of course, it lists the laws that relate to people. You notice you don't see things like, Thou shalt have no other gods before me. It's not, remember the Sabbath day to keep holy is not listed. These are the people-to-people laws. That if you really have love for people, you actually don't have to worry about violating the law. And even in our law, which is based on the Ten Commandments, our founding fathers based uh, all of our law originally on the Ten Commandments, uh, you know, on the books, if you look in the old books, uh, the law, adultery was listed there as a crime, not just, uh, not just a bad character trait, uh, but in the, uh, in the time of the early uh, settlers, that would have been uh, a criminal behavior. But today, we still would say murder, stealing. Well, lying's not a criminal behavior. That's actually an American tradition now. Uh, coveting is too. Uh, that actually starts tonight with early Black Friday. Uh, I digress, sorry. Um, so all of these things, but the Lord says, if you really love me, then you're going to keep the law. And as far as really harming your neighbor, coveting their stuff, stealing their stuff, murdering them to get it, or murdering them in your heart, whatever. Uh, you won't have those type of feelings. But beyond that, beyond just not doing these evil things, love does no harm to a neighbor. The opposite of harm is to help. Because harm would also include neglect. Jesus gave a good example of this. He told the story of the Good Samaritan. The people that walked by, the, the guy who had been beaten and was laying there, they could have all said, we didn't beat him, nor did we harm him. Somebody did. But Jesus says, neglect is equal to harm. So he, again, Jesus always takes uh, the spirit of the law and applies it more deeply and says, you know, it's not enough that you didn't do the crime, but you saw the person there in pain and in anguish and you neglected, did not care, which is a form of harm. So the opposite of harm or neglect is to help. So purposing to help, purposing to love to start with, purposing to help um, these are the things to go and actually do the things that exhibit love to others. You know, we had a good opportunity this weekend where we, uh, we had the outreach on Saturday, uh, you know, feeding, I don't know how many low-income uh, families and some that were single moms and some that, you know, just uh, had, uh, again, maybe a recent job loss, different, different situations, uh, being in Bonaire Sunday night and being able to bring the message of the gospel to uh, over 100 kids in 10 units. Um, these are the things that, and many of them, I mean, the, the sky is the limit on the opportunities that are out there uh, with so many organizations to go and do things that really exhibit the love of Christ, but not just to the organizations, but in our own daily walk, in our own daily life. It's our chief focus and command in respect to others, is to genuinely love them. And how do we do that? Is pray for them, but also to reach out as the hands and feet of Jesus. First John four seventeen says, Love has been perfected among us, and this, as He is, so are we in the world. 
If you look at the ministry and life of Jesus, and we'll see a lot of it uh, when we go through the book of Luke, Jesus always was reaching out to those who were down, those who were out, those who were outcast, those who were marginalized in society, those who really, whether they had leprosy, whether they were prostitutes, whether they were tax collectors, uh, you name it, Jesus spent so much of his time reaching out and showing genuine love because the rest of the community that didn't do those things, they might would try and profess to Christ that they had love for their neighbor, but Jesus was able to point out, I don't think so. Uh, Because you put something into the temple offering does not in any way look like being the hands and feet of God, reaching out and really ministering to people. This is what the Lord wants us. we, We have in our own salvation, our salvation was free, at least for us, right? It wasn't free to the Lord, but it's free for us. It was paid for and purchased by Christ. All we had to do was receive it, and we were spared from eternity in hell and separation from God. But once in the family of God, now remember, the salvation was free, but once we're now in the family of God and we're his sons and daughters, we've been given chores to do. How many of y'all remember chores? (laughs) A lot of of families need to reinstitute chores, but that's another message for another time. But as children of God, we've been given chores to do, and the chores are to fulfill His will and His purpose in this world. And as I said, our salvation was free, but just like coming to Christ and surrendering that battle that was in us to, do I get saved, do I, do I not? Finally saying, yes, Lord, I surrender my heart and life. I don't care what it costs. I'm going to now follow you. Just like we had that battle to come to Christ with our flesh and the worldly desires that would have kept us from coming to the Lord in the first place, so too we have a battle to faithfully complete the task of loving everyone we meet once we now are saved then that's a battle. Because now we've come to Christ, but now we realize we have a task to do. We have chores to do. The Lord wants us to step way outside of ourselves. What a task it is. Sometimes we'd rather defer. But he says, no, you you can't owe anyone. You must go and love. It's like we have, as we're also, we're called the children of God. We're also called the servants of Christ right? What kind of rights does a servant have? Jesus says, you are bought at a price. So he owns us lock, stock, and barrel. So as servants of Christ, we also have tasks. And it, when it, I love the language that Paul used, owe oh, no one anything except to love. It's like we have a service debt. But think about it like this. This is just my own way of thinking about it. It's like the Lord has, we, he saved us we now have chores to do, and then if you want to look at it from, that's the child view, but if you look at it from more, we're also servants of the Lord, we have this service debt. It's really big, and it actually bleeds down until the day we die, because we were prepared for the foundation of, earth, uh, of the earth for good works, right? So we have this service debt, but God actually has all the money or all the love to cover the whole debt, but we kind of, we kind of serve it out. That makes sense? And we just have to keep serving. And then he, he knows if, if, if you're going to die at 92 or 76 or 58 or whatever it may be, he knows uh, your whole lifespan. And so in the process of becoming like the Lord, he's like, you're going to continue to pay this off. It's not for your salvation. That's already paid for. It's learning to be like Christ. 1 John 4.10 says, And this is love, not that we loved God, but that He loved us and sent His Son for the propitiation of our sins. Every time we, for, every time we, we get in our head, I, I cannot forgive this person, or this person is unlovable, or I, I'm not going to send an email back because I don't like the tone that they... Whatever it is, every time we get on our high horse, 
or our ignoring or any other uh, or apathy, any of those other things, all we have to remember is that God sent Jesus to die for our sins. And that should right size our situation, right? Put it in the right perspective. Remember, the world doesn't actually know how to love. It doesn't. They have a very finite view of love. Hollywood demonstrates this a lot of times. While this person looks really good and attractive to me, I can be married to them. As soon as this gets old, I must find someone new. Right? It's a self-centered. If this person does good things to me, I will do good things to them. Jesus never said that. He said they'd even love your enemies. The world doesn't know how to truly love, and we wouldn't either, except for Christ in us by the Holy Spirit. We step out to love by faith and obedience, and we learn to love by the training. I love this. I I reference Titus a lot for this. By the training of grace and the continual ministry of the Holy Spirit. The grace that saves us trains us. Where does it train us? In our prayer life and in the Word of God and in a setting like this and fellowship with other believers and iron sharpening iron. All all those are manifestations of the grace of God training us to be like Christ and learn to love in all situations. But the other is the active work of the Holy Spirit on the inside, right? Magnifying the grace of God, magnifying the Word of God. As we looked at on Sunday, when we are drenched and filled with the Holy Spirit, then our capacity to love and to serve is empowered regardless of the circumstances. This is how I hear testimonies, I'll read in Voice of the Martyrs, I'm like, that person still is praying for the person that persecuted them like that? It even boggles my mind. Not only boggles my mind in the flesh, I know in the Spirit of the Lord, because I see it in Jesus, it's very possible. Because with men, all things, with men, things are impossible, but with God, all things, even to love, and unlovable circumstances are possible. In our flesh, we might say, I could demonstrate love in this situation, but probably not in this situation. We, we, kind, of fact, we, we kind of factor that. We might say, yeah, I could forgive someone for this, but not for this. Or I could love this set of people because they kind of they feel like me or I kind of can relate to that situation or that group of people, but I couldn't love this other group. Now, whenever you do that or say that, God is going to put you in unfamiliar territory to teach you. Best is to not say it. Doesn't matter. God already knows if you think it. So um, he will send you into unfamiliar territory to say, could you really love people that don't act like you, don't think like you, don't talk like you, maybe completely foreign, culturally, completely uh, different, in just any way. In my own life, I look at the diversity of people and situations I've been placed in by the Lord. In every case, God's instructed me to Love or to show love. And I, and I can give you a few examples. They're not that big a deal. So, um, how, I've been with toddlers. I've been with teenagers. I've been with elderly. I've been with young couple. I've been with different cultures, um, different parts of the country, different socioeconomic. And really, the one thing that amazes me is when we have the Holy Spirit, the Lord teaches us how to be like Christ in all those situations. This is why Paul said, I've become all things to all men that I might by some means win some of them. Isn't that great? Paul could meet a Scythian, which were the most violent group of people on the planet in his his time. That's why it's used. And he could actually try in the, well, not try, he would have the the Spirit of the Lord, to actually meet and minister to them, but he could meet a toddler, he could meet someone from Egypt, he could meet someone from Spain, Rome, Macedonia, you name it, and even if there was some sort of barrier, the Lord would actually give an entree to still make a connection 
and still show love. Isn't that great? You and I can do that. I don't know about you, but I want to grow in that to become more like the Lord. We've got to move quickly. Let's look at his light here in verses 11 through 14. That was his love. His light. We looked at putting on his love, now putting on his light. His light. We get that from verse 12 here where it says, let us put on the armor of light. Now, his light is clear vision for us. Again, similar to love actually is beneficial in transforming us, but it also we know is beneficial to those around us. The same is with the light of Christ. Uh, for us, it gives us vision, but it also illuminates the darkness of the world around us, which is helpful to everybody else. I know that everyone doesn't think you and I are helpful when we walk into the room and the whole office was telling a joke and then you walk in. Oh, brother. Got to stop in the middle of it till the wacko moves on. Make your ramen noodles and get out of the kitchen. We're trying to finish this. Right? I know that the world doesn't think of us as a pleasant flashlight in a dark room. But sometimes they do. And when you least expect it. You know, you ever been in a pitch black either room or out in the woods, the flashlight went out or something like and it's just pitch black. If you were in a place that was pitch black, let's say there's not that many of us in the room. If this place went pitch black, especially with the walls, if it was, I mean, pitch black, no light, none, utterly dark, it would be hard. You would be disoriented as to who was voices, where they're coming from. Even if someone said, hey, come here to me. Where are you? I'm north of you. It's pitch black. I don't know north from west to south, and your voice is bouncing off the wall, and you walk into a wall, can't find them. But if one person in here turned on a light, everybody could find their way to it quickly, that fast. No matter how pitch black it was, your voices could do all the shouting at once, but a little bit of light. You know, I know that they said in, uh, in Vietnam that just the light off a cigarette butt, they could see, two, I, I want to say it was two to three miles. I know in the military, that, that's a, this is a well-known thing that, you know, they even after, do not light up in certain situations because it can be seen a long distance away. But a little bit of light is very beneficial to, in a dark world because the world doesn't know it's in darkness. It doesn't know. But we've been given a light, and we must use it. Jesus said in Matthew chapter 5, verses 14 and 16, You are the light of the world. A city on a hill cannot be hidden. Let your light so shine before men. We have a command not to cover the light, but to make sure it shines. We've been given a flashlight. Don't turn it off in the dark room. Make sure you use it. Now, we've given a few things um, that I want to just briefly go over three. First one we'll look at uh, in verse 11. Awake. He says, awake. It's high time to awake out of sleep, for now our salvation is nearer than we first believed. First point, awake and understand the times. Awake and understand the times. Paul's saying, you must be alert. You cannot be asleep. Understand the times, understand the times related to your own life, understand related to the world around you and the times we're living in. The only way you really can understand these things is to read the Word of God and meditate on the Word of God. Uh, then you'll make sense of the news. Then you'll make sense of the chaos in this world. Then you'll make sense of these things. The Holy Spirit will help you make sense. But you must be awake first before you can even read and meditate and understand. We know the sevenfold work of the Spirit. One of them is understanding. Uh, Isaiah chapter 11. First uh, Thessalonians 5, 6 says, Therefore let us not sleep as others do, but let us watch and be sober. Paul's like, the rest of the world is on cruise control. They are half asleep. They, uh, it's like Satan 
has given them all a bit of a drug that has them half asleep, and they really are uh, almost like someone under hypnosis. You know, just led, uh, the scriptures say that the whole world is under the sway of the wicked one. So just because everyone else is asleep doesn't mean, well, if everyone else is asleep, we can be asleep. Absolutely not the case. We are to be awake. So Paul writes the same thing to the Thessalonians as he writes here to the Romans. Let us not sleep as others do. Let us, be watch, let us watch and be sober. Uh, Jesus said in Matthew 25, verses 1 and 2, Then the kingdom of heaven shall be like ten, likened to ten virgins who took their lamps and went out to meet the bridegroom. Now five of them were wise and five were foolish. Five of them were functionally asleep. Yeah, they were awake technically, but spiritually asleep. And this is what Paul's saying. Many people are spiritually asleep in the sense that God is telling them to be on their knees in prayer. They will not. God is telling them to be in the Word of God. They do not. God is telling them to go out and minister to a lost and dying world. They will not. They are the foolish versions. There's no lamp. There's no love and light and purity and power of the Holy Spirit in the heart to actually compel to do these things so they're functionally asleep. Daniel tells us in Daniel chapter 12, verses 9 and 10, for the words are closed up. This is the closing, uh, closing words of the whole book, uh, last few verses anyway. For the words are closed up and sealed till the time of the end, which I believe we are very close. Many shall be purified, made white and refined, but the wicked shall do wickedly. That hasn't changed in all of human history. And none of the wicked shall understand, but the wise shall understand. God said to Daniel, those that have the Lord, have the Spirit of the Lord, have the Spirit of the Lord living in them, they'll understand the times in which they live, and they'll be awake because of it. Now, they'll be awake because they have the Lord's love in their life, but they'll also be further awakened by the things going around, on around them because those things will stir them. And then Jesus said in Revelation twenty two twelve, And behold, I am coming quickly, and my reward is with me to give to everyone according to his work. Remember what I said about Jesus. Jesus, the Father, the Holy Spirit, they never exaggerate. If Jesus says, I'm coming quickly... He's coming quickly. Now, he really is coming quickly, whether it's the rapture of the church or your life, because most of you can blink an eye and you remember back when you were 18 or when you were seven. It seems like just yesterday, me and my wife got married, but we're coming up on 20 years this coming spring. But it doesn't seem like 20 years. It seems like less, than, less time than that. So our life is, according to Scripture, but a vapor, right? Vapor dissipates rather quickly. Jesus is coming quickly for every single soul, but he's also coming quickly for the church. And regardless of whether it's us individually or the church collectively, he doesn't exaggerate. Every life ends faster than people expected. But no one ever realized that until they get to the end. But we know that we're to understand these times, we're to be awake. Let's look at the next piece. Verse 13. Let us walk properly as in the day, not in revelry and drunkenness, not in lewdness, lust, strife and envy, not in strife and envy. Number two, renounce sin and walk in obedience. The first was awake and understand the time. Number two, renounce sin and walk in obedience. This again uh, it requires prayer and commitment. Lord, I pray and I commit to just renounce these areas of sin or disobedience or lack of discipline, and I commit them to you, and he'll help you. Uh, another verse that kind of bridges uh, awaking, understand the times, and then, and then uh, also uh, speaks to renouncing sin and walking in obedience. Peter said in 2 Peter 3.11, Therefore, since all these things will be dissolved, what manner of persons ought you to be in holy conduct and godliness? Peter actually bridges the two concepts and says, uh, the understanding that your life will end soon or Christ will come back soon, and everything you own will be dissolved. That brand new car, the house, what you're going to get for Christmas this year, 
everything, all of it is going to, all of it's going to be gone really fast, Peter said. Not only, not, not only that, but believe it or not, the entire world is reserved for fire. Even the most beautiful buildings that, are, that mankind has ever built, God is going to crumble them. There's a coming today, the Bible says that every island will be moved out of its place. Every mountain will be leveled. So Peter says, if you really believe that, I mean, you've got you, you to take a little time and meditate on that and say, if that's true, what will matter? And he says, here's what's going to matter. You'll purify your walk in holy conduct and godliness. And this is what Paul's saying here. Let us, not, let us walk properly. Let us walk properly or godly. Jesus said in Mark 4.19, And the cares of this world and deceitfulness of riches and the desire for other things enter in and choke the world and choke the word, and it becomes unfruitful. Many people fall away because of the deceitfulness of riches and the cares of this world. Notice it doesn't just say the deceitfulness of riches. It also says the cares of this world. A lot of people say, well, I don't love, I don't love, um, I don't love money. Okay, do you love God? Well, not really. But I don't love money, and I don't care about money. Well, what do you care about? Well, I... I don't go to church, but I do fish 50 times a week, or I do this, or I do that, or I, you know, I'm into this hobby. Cares of the world can be anything. Those things aren't wrong in and of themselves. But if we become unfruitful and they choke out the living word in our life, then it's the same as if we were caught up in riches and power and anything else. A lot of people, because they're not rich and famous, they give themselves some sort of pass which God doesn't give. Well, these, the, all, just the rich and faint, that only applies to them. It applies to everybody. Let us, that's what it says in verse 13, us, that's you, that's me, let us walk properly. Not everybody else. I don't read the Scripture and, and first apply it to everyone else. I first apply it to me. And so should you in your own personal study. First apply it to yourself. You can't preach to others unless you first apply it to yourself. Isaiah 5.20 says, Woe to those who call evil good and good evil, who put darkness for light and light for darkness, who put bitter for sweet and sweet for bitter. Now, obviously, we think of that as the wicked world, but I also think that applies to just hypocrisy, right? That we call one thing and we just kind of, in our own life, living in hypocrisy. Woe to those who call evil good and good evil, putting darkness for light. The Lord doesn't want us to have that walk. He wants us to be laying aside, putting on, as it says, that armor of light. Ephesians 5 eight says, For you were once in darkness, but now are light in the Lord. Walk as children of light. We have a command to walk in the light and to walk as the light. And we can't do that in the flesh. Again, that comes to praying, God, help me. Uh, you're getting ready for work, not tomorrow. Hopefully most of you won't have to go back to work until Monday, but, uh, but those of you who have to go back Friday or Saturday, or some of you, if you're in medicine, you have to work even Sunday. But again, before you, Lord, help me to walk and be a light. Lord, I, I renounce you know, the things of the flesh. I trust in you. I commit my life to you to be a living epistle today. Wherever I go, and the Lord will help you do it. The last, th- last point, we'll come to a close here. Walk. Number three, walk in the power and protection of the Holy Spirit. That's in verse 14, also connected to verse 12. Putting on the armor of light and verse 14, but put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh to fulfill its lust. I look at verse 12 as far as one other kind of point there. Putting on the armor of light, I look at that as reading the Word of God and applying it. But I look at verse 14 Put on the Lord Jesus Christ, notice the words of Paul, and make no provision for the flesh to fulfill its lust. This again comes through prayer. We have not because we ask not, we ask for the help of the Holy Spirit. Lord, I need your help to put Christ on and to walk in Christ. That is not a prayer God is not going to answer. Matter of fact, none of these prayers God will say, I'm not answering that. You're on your own. He wants us to be dependent upon Him. He wants us to tell Him, Lord, unless I have Your help, I can't do this. But He will help. He will answer that prayer. 
Paul is speaking here in the 14th uh, verse, uh, I believe without question, uh, the work of the Holy Spirit. If you read, go back a few chapters, you don't have to turn there, I'll read it to you. But back in the 8th chapter of Romans, again, just five chapters back, Paul said this, but you are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit, if indeed the Spirit of the God if indeed the Spirit of God dwells in you, now if anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, he is not his. Now he goes on to talk about walking in the Spirit in those verses there, but back in the 8th chapter, you're not in the flesh, but in the Spirit. So when it says here, but put on the Lord Jesus Christ and no, make no provision of the flesh, he's saying put on the Spirit of Christ. The indwelling of the Holy Spirit, the overflow, the work of the Holy Spirit in our life, Anyone who has the Spirit of God has the ability in the Holy Spirit to put on Christ. If you're not saved, you can't put on Christ. It's a futile attempt. It would be just a counterfeit. But those of us who have the Spirit of Christ, we can actually, com- we can actually take the flesh and nail it or crucify the flesh because of the Holy Spirit. We can put on Christ and put off the flesh. We can't do that in our own self, but we can do it in the Lord. And when we do that, as Philippians 2.15 says, that you may become blameless and harmless, children of God without fault in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation among whom you shine as lights in the world. That again, the Spirit of Christ in us, the Spirit of Christ helping us crucify the flesh, the Spirit of Christ helping us to love the unlovable when we first love God and then love others, we become lights, blameless, harmless in a crooked and perverse generation. First Thessalonians 5, 5 says, you are all sons of light and sons of the day. We are not of the night or darkness. We will look different, we'll act different, but not just to the world, even to each other. Amen? We'll actually be more gracious to each other, not just the Sometimes I think Christians, that's the other oddity, sometimes Christians have more difficulty loving each other than anyone. You ever notice that? But that has to stop too. The Holy Spirit says, if you see that in you, you need to pray, renounce it, get rid of it, and love the brothers and sisters in Christ, even if they're different from you, but also the world. And Again, all these things, it's interesting, we, uh, it's hard, we don't have time in one hour to cover it all, but you know, when you have the Holy Spirit, God gives you these 360 views that you can actually care about the things that are going around you, be awake, be praying to God vertically, loving people, and it's all this manifold work of the Spirit. You could never wrap your arms around all these things at one time unless you have God living in you. Amen? That God will actually have you. And you don't work really hard to care about all that stuff. It just happens. Isn't that great? You don't spend a lot of time. I'll have people that are unsaved say, How, you, you study for hours for this stuff? And, uh, you know, uh, you, you know, I was like, no, 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 no. God, God just, he, the, the same way you care about all this other stuff, God has us care about these things and it helps us to walk this way. Let's close in prayer.